The following audio is from Redeemer Anglican Church in Richmond, Virginia. More information about Redeemer is available online at RedeemerRVA.org. The reading will come from Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. Um, It's found on page 575 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, it would be our joy if you'd take it home as a gift from us uh, today. Let's read. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Isabel. And now, friends, let's stand together for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel lesson comes to us from the book of Matthew, chapter 3. If you have one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 808. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Friends, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for, I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Church family, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Amen. Let's be seated. Uh, Folks, it's my pleasure to introduce to you, for those of you who don't already know him, T. Fryer. T. serves as our campus minister over at the University of Richmond, along with Audrey Sisko 
And I just want to explain kind of how that works, because I know not everybody might know this, but uh, even though T is on staff, or we think of him on staff, uh, T is actually an employee of a ministry called CCO, Coalition for Christian Out- Outreach. It's a national uh, Christian organization um, with campus ministries all over the country on university campuses. And so T is technically an employee of CCO, but we like to think of him as ours. He's on staff with us here at Redeemer. And uh, he has been ministering over um, to students at the University of Richmond for a number of years. And I just want T, I want you to hear this, and Tori, uh, T's wife, here to hear this as well. But you all are just doing such an incredible job. The students that are gathering in your backyard on, on Monday evenings when the weather was warm enough, um, and the students that you are investing your lives into and discipling and teaching and um, just helping year in, year out. There's just so much good fruit from what you're doing. And I know not all the students sit in this section. You might be scattered about, but I'm going to talk this way. Um, University of Richmond students, we just want you to know how much we love T. He's a great man, and you just have an incredible gift in him as a leader. And we're so thankful for him. T, thank you for coming and preaching to us this morning. Can I say a prayer for you as we start? Heavenly Father, thank you for my friend and my brother and my co-laborer, T. Would you please speak through him to us this morning? Would you open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive your word to us through your servant T? This we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Like Dan said, my name is T. Good morning to you guys. It's uh, been a delight for Tori and I to be a part of this church family for for three years now. It's, It's a gift to minister to students at the University of Richmond. I'm grateful to share with you this morning on this second Sunday of Advent, and I thought it would be um, helpful this morning, if you're unfamiliar with Advent, to read this brief quote from Fleming Rutledge when she says, Advent tells us about our own lives as Christians here and now. Advent is where we live, work, play, laugh, struggle, and die. Advent is the time between, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of, between darkness and dawn between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ. It is not the time of fulfillment. It is the time of waiting. So in this season, as we wait, we are going to be reading this morning and throughout this season from the prophet Isaiah, anticipating with him the renewal and fulfillment of all things when Christ returns. So with that, let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you a rock and my redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so after I graduated college, I had a, a pretty meager salary during a year-long church internship I was doing. And at the time, Tori and I were dating, and I was planning to buy a ring and propose to her, of course. And so that, you know, was going to be a big purchase, as some of you might know. But in the day-to-day with such a small income living in D.C., it often felt like everything I was trying to buy was a big purchase. I needed to budget and pay off college debt. And I remember at one point, I just became completely overwhelmed. And what do we do when we're overwhelmed? We try and blame someone or or something else. And so what did I do? I called my parents, of course, and asked them, how could you not teach me how to handle my money? I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, but they just listened to me over the phone and they listened to my frustration, restrained their defensiveness because they knew I was just overwhelmed and figuring things out for the first time. But as I was shifting blame, I think I was also experiencing in this outburst on the phone, a longing for someone to lead me, for someone to show me how to handle my money. And I think this is something we all experience. 
We are longing for someone to lead us and show us the way. And when this person doesn't materialize or fails to meet expectations, we experience great disappointment, frustration, or disillusionment. As a child, we long for our parents to lead us by showing us how to love each other, but things like divorce disillusion us. As teenagers, we long for a teacher or an older sibling or a friend to teach us how to learn new things, make new friends, but when we are left out or disregarded as less intelligent, we question our worth and value. As a college student, we long for someone to lead us in discovering what to do with our lives, but we're often expected to discover this on our own, and we're never really encouraged to think about our gifts. As adults with jobs and offices, firms, and hospitals, we long for our boss to simply teach us how to do our job, but we're so often left with little to no guidance, treated like workhorses, expected to keep our head down and avoid asking questions. As parents, we long for our own parents to lead us and teach us how to raise our children so we can find a way to make as little mistakes as possible. But as you spend late nights and early mornings feeling utterly alone, you wonder if anyone will support you. As husbands and wives, we long for the other spouse to lead us by making decisions, making money, taking care of the children. But as these expectations go unsaid, bitterness and resentment can grow within us as we wait for the other to do something. No matter what stage of life you find yourself in, you are likely waiting or longing for someone to lead you, to teach you something, to give you direction, or to make a decision. But so often these folks never show up. And I think this can be deeply disappointing and frustrating, but at least we're not the only ones who have experienced these feelings. We can look to the story of the Bible. Just think about the people of God in the Old Testament, longing for someone to lead them out of slavery in Egypt, longing for someone to lead them to the promised land, longing for someone to become king and rule over them to rival their enemies, longing for someone to lead them out of exile under nations like Babylon, Assyria, and Rome. The story of the Old Testament can be described and summed up as a journey of waiting for God to provide someone to lead them out of peril or into prosperity, only to be disappointed time and time again. And it's in the context of that story the prophet Isaiah is speaking to us. He's speaking at a time when God's people were under pressure from foreign powers. And like many other times in this story, they needed someone to lead them. Throughout chapters 7 through 11, right before our reading this morning, Isaiah describes God's plan to relieve this pressure. He says that God will do two things. First, he will cast judgment on the foreign powers and even on Israel. In chapter 10, this is described essentially as somewhat of a deforestation. The forest of foreign power will be cut down to their stumps. Second, he will also provide a ruler to lead them forward, which takes us to chapter 11, which we just read. There shall come a there shall come forth a root from the stump of Jesse. Chapter 11 introduces us to someone God will provide to lead his people through the pressure of foreign powers. And this morning, perhaps Isaiah 11 offers us to a leader who can show us the way and fulfill our longing to be led. So as we read through this passage, we're going to consider first this leader that God offers, second, the leaders we're stuck with, and third, the leader of the future. First, this leader God offers. So if you want to take a look back at the text in Isaiah 11, I'd encourage you to do so. Who is this leader Isaiah described in the passage? Beginning in verse 1, we get some family history. Who is Jesse? He's the father of King David. Jesse was a middle-class Israelite who, was never expect, who never expected his young, scrawny son David to be chosen king. But this is who, who God often chooses. The weak and the unexpected. 
So first, the leader God offers is unexpected and from humble beginnings. In verse 2, we learn that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. God will be with him. How? To give him wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord. What would it look like to be led by such a person who is wise and understanding, someone who you can trust to offer you good advice and a listening ear? For me, I imagine somebody who has a similar story to mine, like my friend Aaron, who sat down with me in a season of great discernment and uncertainty and responded to my long, uncertain monologues about life, simply saying, I know what you mean, I've been there, who in light of that could share his wisdom. Is there anyone like that in your life willing to sit down with you, listen, and hear your story and offer wisdom? Is this a picture of someone God has offered you already? In verse 3, moving on, we learn that God offers a leader whose delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. I think one of the perils of modern leadership is subjectivity. I will decide to lead how I best see fit. But here God offers something different. Someone who chooses not to lead subjectively, but with a transcendent reliance, a reliance on God, which surpasses his own judgment. And I think when we're living in a world fraught by conflict, we need leaders like this ourselves who are willing to rely on something greater than themselves, who are grounded in truth, who know what is right, who can mediate disputes without biases. In verse 4, we learn that the leader God offers will also judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth, strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and kill the wicked. The leader God offers is a man of justice. He does not let the oppressed suffer, nor the wicked get away with evil, or the poor walk away empty. And and if you're unfamiliar with Advent, if you've come here this morning and this is all new to you, you should know that one of the main themes of this season is judgment and justice, which is what you're hearing likely in these readings this morning and throughout these four weeks. And why is that? Why is that? Because in this time between Christ's incarnation and Christ's return, we are surrounded by injustice in our world. In our city, we may look at those who are cold and experiencing homelessness with little access to health care, food, and drink, and think, gosh, who will keep these folks from walking away empty in this season? It's why I'm so thankful that this year we're partnering with First Baptist Church down the street to play even just a small part in this. God is offering a man of justice to come alongside those who are poor, weak, and in need. So who is this leader God offers in Isaiah 11? He is unbiased a humble man of justice whose wise counsel is readily available. Gosh, what an offer this is, right? What a vision for a leader who could guide us. You know, as I read this passage this week, I struggled. I struggled with it because it almost felt like a dream or a fantasy or some type of hero you read in a story, an illusion. And I thought this leader doesn't exist. Not in my life. And I would imagine likely not in yours. Maybe just a glimpse because our world is too opinionated to have an unbiased voice. Our society is too competitive to have humble leaders. Our world is too fraught with evil for there to be a pioneer of justice. Our world is too hurried for someone to stop and listen and offer advice. So who are the leaders we have? Who are the leaders that we're stuck with? That we long for someone with an unbiased voice. We're surrounded by leaders who use their power and position to propagate their own opinions and ideas. In the world of politics, we look for our elected leaders to pursue what's best for everyone, for the country, the commonwealth, and the city. But so often, the political tribes, our leaders, are entrenched in determine the policies and positions they hold. 
There's no transcendent voice that rises above the rest. Though we long for someone who is truly humble, we're surrounded by leaders whose power has become their identity. What could this look like? It looks like our bosses, whose position has become their source of pride. Their power to lead is wielded selfishly for personal gain or raise or promotion instead of informing and teaching their employees. Though we long for someone to lead and pioneer justice, we're surrounded by leaders who are hypocrites, saying they stand for something and doing something else. I remember when I first became a vegetarian, which, spoiler alert, is not true anymore. Um, I did this for environmental reasons, and it was one of the things I learned was that many of the environmental nonprofit agencies were accepting large sums of money from the cattle industry to forego listing this as a source of climate change. And I was appalled by this lack of transparency, despite saying they were leaders and pioneers of justice for creation. Though we long for someone to lead us by stopping to be with us, listen to our anxieties and stress and offer advice, we're surrounded by leaders who are too self-consumed to do so. Maybe it's your parents who have hardly managed to navigate their own story that they dump their complaints on you. Maybe it's a spouse who is too consumed by their friends, hobbies, or job to be interested in you, to lead you in your marriage by simply spending time with you and navigating the stresses of life. Maybe you have a professor who's teaching at your school for a chance just to do research, for whom giving advice, direction, or affirmation to a student is an afterthought. And as we think about these examples, leaders who are antithetical to the one described in Isaiah 11, we maybe begin to think, gosh, everyone around me has failed. They failed me, they failed you, maybe it's just up to me. And it's here that we discover that underneath, underneath the disappointment and the frustration or maybe even despair you feel in light of all these examples, your insecurity lies. Because maybe it is just up to you. Maybe it's yourself in the end who you're stuck with. Maybe you will just have to discover the next job on your own, raise your kids on your own, answer your deepest questions on your own, or seek justice on your own terms. Because there's nobody you can trust. There's no one to help, therefore you must figure it out on your own. And this is what I felt, you know, when I called my parents that day and asked them, how do I handle my money? And I ask you guys, when have you felt this way? When have you been disappointed, frustrated, or disillusioned by a lack of leadership around you that you determined it was just going to have to be up to you? Did you feel alone, lost, maybe beginning to question in the midst of that darkness if anyone can show you the way forward? What about God? What about God? Where is he? How viscerally we feel God's absence at these times when disappointment and frustration have clouded our imagination. Who will lead us? In verse 10, this section is bracketed by a mention of the humble root of Jesse. Once again, Isaiah says that he shall stand as a signal for the people. He shall stand. Reading this, what was once a shoot, just a small little green coming from the stump, has transformed. It has begun to stand tall. And Isaiah is speaking now of the future. So who stands tall? Who is the leader of the future? Who is this man? As we look to the Gospels and we consider the shoot that has stood tall, who is in the line of Jesse, we read of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, who, like David, was chosen from 
humbly from a middle-class family who was born in humility. God became flesh and dwelt among us. This was God's greatest act of solidarity. Becoming tempted in every way that we are, he refused to wield his power for selfish gain. And he carried a voice that was not his own. He channeled the Father's will by the power of the Spirit, relying not on his own opinions, but on God's own divine judgment. Christ was the incandescence of God's judgment, the righteous light who came into the world to show us the good and right way forward, who was not beset by polarized opinions of the Jewish leaders or Roman governors, but was led by the truth of God's law. He sought justice, stating that he was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was not a hypocrite, but he did what he set out to do. After announcing this mission to the crowds in Luke 4, throughout his ministry, Jesus did go on to open the eyes of the blind, release sinners from shame, and offer dignity to tax collectors and prostitutes. He stood for justice and followed through. He led with integrity, and he stopped He stopped with wisdom and understanding and counsel and might. He sat and listened to those who sought him and offered advice to Zacchaeus, the rich young ruler, Nicodemus, and others. Jesus never hesitated to slow down and offer steadfast love and knowledge of the Lord to all those who followed. And finally, in his death with righteousness, he's carried the weight of our insecurity, which has driven us to walk alone, and he he met us. He became physically insecure and died a shameful death to answer our question, where is God? By actually becoming absent. Have you ever thought about that? In those three days in the grave, God was never more absent to his people. To the disciples, their leader had willingly died and they were left lost, disappointed, frustrated, and alone. But in his resurrection, in faithfulness, he did not fail his followers. He came through, and God did not remain absent. He rose again, leading his people out of darkness and into his glorious light. And friends, our insecurity, our longing to be led, is answered in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. But if we're honest, as we acknowledge this truth, we struggle in this time between, as Rutledge says, Christ has come, he has not come again. We are still longing for the leader of our future who will come and lead us into a world when he returns that will be of perfect peace, which brings us to these staggering verses from six to nine. In particular, verse eight, I was uh, with Tori's family for Thanksgiving and I asked um, Tori's grandmother, would you put your child next to a snake? And she said, I wouldn't put me next to a snake. This, friends, is the hilarity of the new creation. The preposterous notion that Christ will lead us into a world of such peace where even a young child would not be threatened by a venomous snake. When we consider our longing to be led, we must ask ourselves, where would you like to go? Where would you like to go? In the waiting for someone to show you the way, are you just eager for a solution, maybe a job, or someone to give you directions and help out with a task? Or are you able to imagine that somewhere you actually want to go? Do these verses stoke your imagination? Friends, when Christ returns, the new creation is installed. This picture will be just a glimpse of the kind of peace that grips the earth and the people of God for eternity. And this is where we are being led. This is where we are going. Now, what does this all mean for us? If Christ has come and Christ will come again, and if he hasn't forsaken us and we can truly be led by him in this time between, how then shall we live? 
Put simply, we can follow. If you're longing to be led, friends, follow Jesus. And if that's a step you've not yet taken, if you've been here at Redeemer with us and it's something that you're interested in, I would love to talk to you about it. And if your answer is yes, or if you've been following Jesus for some time, how might that change the way you are being led and lead others around you? Parents, how might you embody steadfast and patient love to your spouse that will model marriage to your young children? Supervisors and bosses, how might you treat your employees with dignity and respect and offer the guidance and support they need? Teachers, how might you take notice of the children in your care, of their gifts, talents, and unique abilities so that they may flourish? Whether we find ourselves in these roles or not, we are all called to be leaders in this Advent season. We are called to seek justice, remain humble, rely on the unbiased truth of God's word, and stop, slow down, and listen to those around us, perhaps especially to one another here in this church family. Friends, may the spirit of the Lord rest upon us as we seek to be leaders in this Advent season, as we point others to the longing that we all share to be led by Christ into the light into the new creation of peace and perfect restoration. Let's pray. Oh God, we admit that we long to be led by someone, and perhaps it's you this morning. Lord, I pray that in this time between, as we struggle and wait, that you would fulfill all our longings. Would you meet us here in this place? In Christ's name, amen.